Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Movies, Films, and Flicks. I am Mark Hoffmeyer, and joining me is a man who is able to pull off the four-post massacre by himself. <laughs> it's Brian Mozina, a.k.a. Mo Lightning. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. I uh, I appreciate uh, all of the effort you went through to make this recording possible. Uh, yeah, so we've been sitting here for an hour, and... Um... I update on Skype of what I record the MP3s on, so I got an old computer out and I fixed it. And you have the patience of a saint, Mo. You know that? You are – I'm used to people- – You have asked a lot from me in this process. Not only have I had to sit and wait for you to fix the technical issues, but you made me watch the movie we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's like a double whammy. So uh, in case you don't know, obviously you wouldn't know, but so uh, Mo and I worked together at Wizard World Comic Con for mm-hmm. several years, I would say. And yep. during this time, Brian – or Mo, I'm sorry – did all the moderating for a lot of the panels that were there. And one of his specialities was working with wrestlers, sitting down with wrestlers, talking with talking with them about their career. I mean, you've talked to some big wrestlers, right? Paige. Who else have you – what other wrestlers did you sit down and talk with? Yeah, I, uh, I was a part of John Cena's first ever Comic-Con-based Q&A, so I worked with him. Uh, worked with CM Punk numerous times. Paige, as you said, was a regular one. Uh, the Bella Twins, as they ascended to power. Uh, some legends like Ricky Steamboat. Uh, the list really does go on and on. Kurt Angle. I just uh, there's stars that I look back on that I forgot I even worked with. Oh man! And so I knew you did that, and I also know you have the podcast Wrestling Audio, which we should, y'all should definitely check out. So in my head, I was like, you know what would be the perfect movie to talk with you about? <laughs> ready to rumble and i was i was not ready to revisit that i don't think anybody is ready for that movie no so i watched this movie in 2000 i was i was 18 i wasn't too into wrestling but i knew mostly uh like the wwe crew at the time rock stone cold triple h so i didn't really sure. know i didn't really know much what was going on with wcw so i gotta say there, I, I just gotta tell you something though watching this movie it's aggressively bad <laughs> <laughs> it it's it's i some of these lines i just wanted to pause it 
pull a Jay and Silent Bob, get a plane ticket, and find the writer, and just Charlie horse him. Like, not, like, full-on attack. But, you know, you know what's interesting, though, is the people who directed this movie were pretty talented. So you had a guy named Brian Robbins. He directed Good Burger. Then he mm-hmm. did Varsity Blues. That's a, mo- that's a, a narratively... That movie makes sense as a film. Sure. High school football kids, right? Then he also did Hardball. And the, some of his last directorial things where he did Norbit and Meet Dave with Eddie Murphy. Mm. So I feel like he almost regressed as a filmmaker. <laughs> he reached the top. He's like, I can't do any better than this. Yeah, like, All right. Ready to rumble in Norbit. Varsity Blues and Hardball are movies that have structures. This one, and this one was written by Stephen Brill, who wrote Mighty Ducks, Little Nicky, and a movie called Walk of Shame. He also directed a lot of Sandler movies, like Sandy Wexler, The Do-Over. He did Mr. Okay. Deeds, and he also did Without a Paddle. And those mm. are those are, those are are movies, too. <laughs> this one... All right, so before we get into to the listener questions, I think this movie shouldn't have starred two 35-year-old men. <laughs> Why? Why? Are you saying that that doesn't reflect the wrestling audience? Because it sadly kind of does. I mean, but they're just not doing much. And, I mean, it's like, I, I really don't mind David Arquette. I like him a lot in the screen movies. And I think Scott Kahn, you know, he's making that, uh, what's that show in Hawaii? Is it called? What? He's making that uh, syndicated detective TV show money right now. He's oh, Hawaii Five-0, of course. Yeah. So he's making that Hawaii Five-0 syndicated money. Both these guys have been in pretty decent pictures. And so... I know this movie was made because David Arquette loved wrestling, but this was directed by a guy who was used to directing kind of younger kids. Mm -hmm. And then this was written by a movie who wrote sports movies for younger kids. So you have the guy who wrote The Mighty Ducks and you have a guy who can direct sports. So I don't I feel like when the script was written and when the director signed on, this was starring James Vanderbeek and Joshua Jackson, like two college kids who are kind of having hard times their hero gets in trouble they know he's just a wrestler but then they bring him back and then they become wrestlers because it's that easy right i mean obviously who hasn't done that you don't have to move to canada and go in a a dungeon in someone's basement and wrestle for 14 years before you can get in the ring which happened with chris jericho not 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 when these dreams come true yeah so all right i know no i think and i don't know if the disconnect with the writing and directing on this is just an unfamiliarity with the product, I mean, conceptually, fundamentally, all of the pieces should work better than they do. But from the very first scene in this movie, from the get-go, it almost makes fun of the audience that it's catering to. Yeah, the the guy. All right, so they're talking in front of a gas station. David Arquette. All right, let's, let's start. We, we got some listener questions. Let's jump into those. Then we'll then we'll do the movie. So the sure. first okay. the first question here is from uh, Nathan LaHaye, who we both know and have both worked with. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Ready to rumble? I wonder how much each WCW wrestling star was paid for their appearances in the movie. Were larger stars paid more to, due to their current in ring popularity? Did Sting and Goldberg make three times as much as Disco Inferno? Why were certain certain stars picked over others?" probably availability probably contracts why they uh, certain stars made it uh I, I actually still try to figure out why certain stars are on the good and bad the heel and face alignment like ddp who is a huge popular star was one of the lead bad guys in this movie so there's definitely questionable there but the the whole budget was 24 million dollars so uh, i think really 
it all it was it was more screen time based rather than hierarchy in the company. And I I feel like Jeff Jarrett could have been a good villain. Oh yeah. The way I see this movie is that the villains the antagonists are the protagonists. And <laughs> the man who gets his redemption at the end is the antagonist. So you have yeah. you have what uh what's his name? Oliver Platt's the king, who I love his yeah. performance. I think Oliver Platt made some decisions in this movie that I love. And I love that he's in this movie. That's my favorite part of this movie. I like Platt. Really? Because it horribly miscast. But oh, yeah. God, but I just love how he's just like, he's going to train so he drinks eggs and tequila, then he falls into a manhole. And <laughs> I just love the, I just love that they cast it. Like, this is, this decision in this movie is, makes me happy. It, <laughs> it's just a very weird decision. And I like Oliver Platt. Uh, but also, uh, so I was going off of something I'm going to go back to. So in 2000, the wrestlers in WCW were, you know, Chris Benoit was a champion in early 2000. Then Sid Vicious, Kevin Nash, Jeff Jarrett, DDP, David Arquette, then Ric Flair. So their roster wasn't that stacked. But over in WWE, you had Triple H, Big Show, The Rock, Kurt Angle, The Rock again, Stone Cold, Chris Jericho. You had much bigger stars. So I think the people they got in this movie were kind of the best they had at the time, right? Well, it's... I think in hindsight, it's easy to look back and say the WWE had the stronger roster. But back then, when this movie came out in 2000, so they're producing this in, what, 99? Uh, that was neck and neck. Triple H was just becoming a, a household wrestling name at that time. Chris Jericho, he was a fan favorite, but I wouldn't say he was the same level as, dare I say, even a Sting or a Goldberg or Macho Man that was in Ready to Rumble. So I actually think... Uh, they, the rosters were pretty even at that time. Oh, you're right. They did have Sting. They had Goldberg. They had DDP. They had Disco Inferno. I liked... Right, Disco obviously putting it over the top. I mean, I was a big Kidman fan back in the day. Yeah, Kidman was good. Very underrated nowadays. A lot, a lot of kids are like, who's Kidman? Like, how dare you? And then also they had, what, uh, Mr. Perfect was in this movie, Conan, Bam Bam, Bigelow, Sid Vicious. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a bad roster. I, I think maybe it's just a little underutilized again ddp i like the guy i've met the guy and worked with him in the past i like ddp but him being cast as as the bad guy is just a, a questionable decision and i feel like ddp and joey Pantal pantaliano who plays uh titus sinclair the promoter for wcw i felt they were the good guys because it's established that oliver platt's king larry oh the king character i keep oh i don't keep jimmy king it. jimmy king He's just a total jerk, alcoholic, no-show, rude, spiteful, doesn't stay in shape, right? And so, but the fans love him for some reason. And his raps are really, uh, Jimmy Phenomenal. the Phenomenal. He raps about just making people his bitches in his torture chambers. Like, <laughs> like, there's a scene in this movie, he's like, who here wants to make me, uh, who here wants to watch me make him a bitch and put him in my dungeon? And everyone's like, yeah! Like, even when I was 18, I'm like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> He's got a little bit of a southern twang, so when I think about making somebody a bitch in a dungeon, I am not thinking about a castle. Yeah, so he's 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 really he's a no show. He does he he doesn't work. Uh, in the beginning, actually, they show that wrestling is staged. They kind of talk about it backstage or calling the moves in the ring, and I don't like him. This this movie is about a horrible man getting redemption, but he's 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 the same man afterwards, kind of. There, there's real no reason to root for Jimmy King in this one. <laughs> like DDP shows up, 
He's a good worker. He's a great wrestler. Like, why wouldn't you want him? <laughs> like, what? I don't... Like, someone said this was based off of Ric Flair, but I think Ric Flair worked hard. I mean, he was probably a maniac. We've heard... I saw his documentary, but... Yeah, well, there's, there's so many fundamental flaws with this movie. I think we're supposed to cheer for Jimmy King because of of uh sean and gordy uh we're supposed to we want to see them and their dreams come true but from the get-go we are introduced to these two idiots that are supposed to be a reflection of the wrestling audience and for me as a wrestling fan okay we could do a little bit better than that uh but uh, to answer your question or to comment on the whole rick flair situation titus o'neill was supposed to be played by eric bischoff he had been fired right before production began, so they brought in this new character. Bischoff and Flair did have real-life issues. Ric Flair, popular star that Bischoff just couldn't understand, and Bischoff did try to, in the wrestling world, call it bury him. But oh. this movie doesn't go on to explain really why Titus and King have an issue, other than, oh, King's late again. Yeah, but if he's selling yeah. money, or if he's selling like merchandise and he's selling tickets... I don't see a promoter that's going to have a problem with that. Yeah, like all he, he called him a midget. And that was about it. He called Joey Pants a midget. Yeah, and, and, and like everybody about... makes fun of his weight and his shape, but being a staged production like pro wrestling is, you easily flip that belt off of him. I'm like, there's, I don't know why he's fired, and like everybody exercises him out of the company. That it, maybe if they had established him being a dick before the downfall, we would have cared more. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we got to learn this through the process where these wrestling fans who know it's fake don't know it's fake. I started rooting for DDP during the whole thing. <laughs> right? And so, uh, yeah, I, you know what? I felt nothing when Jimmy King was kicked out. And I, uh, so going back to the beginning of the movie, we have what? Arquette, David Arquette. I'm just going to call him David Arquette and Scott Kahn. Okay, that's fine. Right, so Scott Kahn seems like a smart fellow who has his own job. And seems steadily employed. Mm -hmm. He's he's pretty chill. Do you th like, but then David Arquette, he just turns it to twelve in this movie. Yeah, he with the the very quick potty humor that never lets up in this film. Now, in this, so the I'm gonna blame the early ninety late nineties early two thousands with these gags because you know remember in American Pie, uh, there's Stifler drinking the um, I don't know whatever Thomas Ian Nichols. You know, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. out of a drink. Then yeah. you had Van Wilder, where they're eating those eclairs stuffed with stuff. Like, the oh, Mall Rats, well, that was kind of 96, 95, where they're shoving, you know, chocolate-covered pretzels, you know, with his finger. But in there was butt. still a little bit of a gross-out humor in that era. Yeah, so there's just, but this movie just came to it really late. And it does the laziest finger-in-butt thing ever to get a free slushy, which doesn't make sense to me. So David Arquette sticks his finger in his butt so he can get a free slushy, and then he makes the guy there smell it, and the guy's like, "Yeah, it's a poop slushy." <laughs> and then the guy keeps smelling it. I know he keeps going back, like, "No, that can't be right." Oh, it still smells. And why? What? Well, and then is Dave, it the the cup that's supposed to smell, or is it the drink? Because if it's the drink, why would you want more of it? Yeah, exactly. I, Really bad gag. And then David Arquette's cop dad shows up and grabs Scott Kahn's balls for some reason. During a f He's frisking them. And then we go into a fantasy sequence where David Arquette and the king fight Macho Man and the jerk from the store. Which would be fun, Mo. If you and, a, you and I just got to wrestle some people in a ring 
in like a, a, a convenience store, I'd be down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the all-time greatest actual pro wrestling moments that I can recall. It happened not too long after this where Booker T and Stone Cold are fighting in a grocery store. <laughs> what? And it was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I always, uh, so when we did conventions, Dave Thompson and I Just got out that clip. You will not be disappointed. That clip alone is better than all of Ready to Rumble. So, oh man. All right. I'm going to, let's just, yeah. Hey guys, just watch that. So, uh, but Dave Thompson and I, when we were working conventions, when everyone was out, he and I just wanted to have like the family guy chicken fight that just takes oh, it sure. and just, just knock the entire convention over. Like that fight uh, was fun. And Macho like, Man, you know, I, he wasn't in Spider-Man yet. He did come to go see – I was working in a movie theater, and he came to go see Spider-Man by himself. I thought that was pretty interesting. Oh, interesting. All right. It's a good cameo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool that they got the stars that they could. I'm sure had Macho Man been on screen more, they probably would have had to pay him three times they were paying Disco Inferno, but it kept it short and sweet. Yeah, when they – there's I was reading – I read a lot about this movie, and they're like, here comes the good guys, Booker T, Goldberg, Kidman – and Disco Inferno? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to balance it out somehow, I guess. All right. So so you find out that Scott Kahn has a sanitation business. And then you learn that David Arquette's working with him. But his three – his family members want Arquette to become a cop. Really, I mean, it doesn't ring good today because they're talking about shooting perps and stuff. Right in the butt. Yeah, right in the, right in the buttocks. You're such a shot here. Burp today, right in the butt cheek, or whatever she says. It's like, oh, man. And then they point Stereotyping everybody. Wrestling fans, cops. Yeah. yeah. Slushies. And, but, but guess what, though? Mo, their life is. Like, this be... movie's painful, by the way. I, I want to reiterate that to anybody who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it for a while. I want to reiterate how painful it is. It may seem like we're making light of stuff that's really not that bad. It is that bad. Yeah. I mean, in this movie, there's farting nuns. <laughs> Someone who, says who start who start cleverly uh, singing "Running with the Devil" because irony is funny. Yeah, I I really wanted to scream during that scene. And then there's there's other lines in this movie. So um, there's there's a a kid oh. whose parents says that everything is for pussies, and then the king's wife gave her crabs, and she asked David Arquette if she's if he, if he's ever seen crabs up close, and he goes, "Yeah, I want to see him." <laughs> and then Rose McGowan said she threw it. He's so excited for it too. He's like, "Yeah, I want to." Oh, oh. And Rose McGowan threw. See it. It's. Uh, and Rose McGowan threw the script <laughs> in the trash three times because she hated it yeah, so I, much. I, but but apparently didn't hate that paycheck. Yeah, I mean you get paid for it. But all right, so they get a ticket to WCW. They go to WCW. They get really bad seats, so they go down and uh, their hero, um, Jimmy King. Gets beat up, right? But during this conversation, while I was getting beat up, Scott Kahn and David Arquette have a conversation. They're like, you know, there's a guy that, you know, he lost. He only has his left nut. And he's like, if you only have one nut, can it, can it be considered your left nut? <laughs> your delivery of that is better than the actual delivery in the movie. I asked that pretty earnestly, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's, that's the way what I liked about it. Maybe is it Oh wow. Uh, you should do you you should lead a one man play for Ready to Rumble. And I want to deliver that Holly Berry line from X Men. Do, do you know what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning? Well, probably the same thing that happens to everything else when it gets hit by lightning. <laughs> and then I hit him with lightning. Just add some earnestness in there. 
Some wonder. Uh, uh, if you could say these lines with a straight face, then more power to you, because I don't think I could. All right, so Jimmy Jimmy King, he gets the four post massacre put on. Uh-huh. He gets yeah. he gets massacred with four uh, heads hitting him in his in his body, and then uh, Joey Pantaleone, Joey Pants, is like you're fired, and this leads to a scene where David Arquette and Scott Conner driving home in their poop truck, and the poop truck flips. <laughs> And poop flies everywhere. But later on, when they're cleaning it up, a semi full of toilet paper hits the <laughs> hits the poop truck. And then toilet paper comes flying out like streamers. And David Arquette's like, can you believe that happened? <laughs> tell, tell me your thoughts about this, Mo. <laughs> uh, my thoughts is I was distracted by uh, our, our two leads being covered in poop as a part of the crash. And then when the, the, the toilet truck hits, they're no longer dirty, but everyone else still is. Oh yeah, it's like Jaws four, the Reve- or Jaws the Revenge, when Michael Caine's completely uh, dry when he gets out of the water. Yeah, that's that's what I noticed. I'm like, oh wait, so the sheriff is still covered in feces, but you guys have somehow already cleaned up pretty well. I, it's amazing, but but they are sanitation experts, so they must know the secret. Can I tell you something, Mo? Please. Somebody wrote that scene. <laughs> you mean somebody's kid wrote that scene? Some, I don't feel like a human wrote this movie. I just feel like someone slammed their hands on a screen. Like, were energy drinks popular around then? Oh, yeah. They were starting to gain some traction by then. At least Monster and Rockstar and some of those simple ones. Got it. So maybe someone was just really into those. I have a feeling like, again, we talked about the director and the writer having some good credibility. I feel like they passed this off to their assistant or some interns around the studio that, hey, you know, WCW needs to fast track this movie. They're losing money. They're losing ratings. We need to get this produced. Go ahead. Just give us some ideas as wrestling fans. And this is what they came up with. Like, oh, it's good enough. We can shape this. And you know what I'm thinking is that since they're like, we'll get the guy from Varsity Blues. And then we'll get the guy who writes for Sandler and Mighty Duck. Like, so what they did was smart, right? Like, if you don't know about movies and you have these directors and writers, yeah. you're like, okay, this dude did Mighty Ducks and this dude did Varsity Blues. Could be worse. Did they not read the script? Sure. Sure. On, on paper, this seems like a good idea. I feel like Stephen King wrote this in the 80s when he was just loaded up. Like, you know, hear the stories about him all, like, coked up. Like, this is yeah. – so maybe he wrote this under his, like uh, – <laughs> A pseudonym. It was it was a serious a horror movie. <laughs> he wrote. Let's just throw some humor in there, right in the mood. Uh, my first laugh, literally, as I rewatched Ready to Rumble for the first time in a decade. My first laugh came at the forty-two minute mark. Can I take a guess? Yeah, please. Is it when Mean Gene goes? Do you think I'm sexy? No, you know that. I think a few minutes afterwards. No, it's when they're talking. It's when they're talking to Jimmy King in the trailer. And he's like, oh, well, my wife left me and my parents are dead. And they're they're telling him, oh, well, we know all of this is a lie. And uh, Khan, uh, Scott Khan says, well, uh, we also know that your parents aren't dead anymore either. And like just the way he says it and casually throws it in was the first laugh halfway through the movie. You know, I think in 2001 he did Ocean's Eleven. So and, and he did Varsity. Well, he did Varsity Blues. Do you think that's how he got dragged into this movie? I think much like um, much like uh, Rosa, uh, what's her name? Rose, Rose McGowan. McGowan. Thank you. Uh, 
Uh, much like Rose, I think this was a paycheck. Yeah. And they were going to pay pretty well because WCW was desperate to try to do anything to keep up with WWE, who was starting to win that war. So I think it's just, okay, this will be an easy paycheck. Nobody's going to watch this movie. And they were right. $12 million they made at the box office. I mean, with inflation, what do you think that would be? $13 million now? Uh, let's see, 2000 let's say like $1.25. Yeah, so it's like 16 17 something like that. I have to deal with a lot of inflation for my articles. <laughs> so I, think, I guess you, you're very good at math. Uh, me, I was gonna try to, I was gonna try to find something to, to be able to to bring to the table, bring to the show. Like here's the average amount of time that Gordy has his finger up his butt. But I just, this movie is so painful to get through. I just could not stay motivated. I'm sorry. I I tell you what kept me into this movie, and and that is Oliver Platt. Just watching the decisions he makes, because. He had been in some very good movies before this. Right. So just imagine right. uh, just someone went to he, Oliver Platt. Right. Like someone went to Oliver Platt and just said, listen, here's a bunch of money. You get to play a WCW champion wrestler. So Mark Wahlberg, he took the happening because he was like, no one will ever let me play a teacher. Like I can never play a science teacher. This movie offered me a science teacher role, so I took it. So Oliver Platt's looking at the script. Uh-huh. I'm the WCW champion, and I have to fight in a cage, and I make $4 million for six weeks of work? Like, I'd take it. Oh, sure. Sure, maybe Oliver Platt thought he was going to be an action hero after this. I mean, this, uh, I, I bet he was just telling people. Just like, guys, I just got <laughs> cast as the WCW champion. Right? I mean... If you around that time, not too long before this, you know, Carl Malone, Dennis Rodman, Jay Leno had wrestled for WCW. So why not Oliver Platt? I don't do Rodman. Rodman could have been a wrestler. He was. He uh, he was a part of the NWO. Oh, uh, yeah, a, he an was. honorary member. The, the, not not then, the Wolfpack, though. Right. It was. It was, he the, was black and white. He black was black and white. And white. Got uh, the traditional. And then a couple years later, Hulk Hogan had a reality show, the Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan Championship Wrestling, that Dennis Rodman was a part of. I do not remember that. I do remember Jay Leno. That was He wrestled with – who did Jay Leno wrestle with? I think with DDP. Wow. And, and dude, Malone, too, with those elbows? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean that's so celebrities back then thought that it was it was almost like a less popular Simpsons where you know everybody wants to be a part of it somehow and they get to look good because they're not gonna you know these wrestling companies aren't gonna allow the celebrities to look bad so uh, you know Oliver Platt gets to look like a million dollars when he has a longer winning streak than than Goldberg's 172 and 0. I think I saw Goldberg wrestle once. I'm sorry. You've been to, you've been to WrestleManias, right? Yes, sir. All right, so I've been to two wrestling things, and it was one of them was headlined by John Cena versus Umaga and the Great Kali. Okay, uh, and I'm my sorry, brother, uh, so John Lazbath, who used to be on this podcast, uh, he's he's crushing the improv now. But he and I, he brought a sign that said "I'm with Stupid" and it pointed down with him. And then right. uh, he and I just used all our good lines in the dark matches, like the opening matches. Because <laughs> like, we're just like, work in the back, work. And we had everyone laughing. And then we just ran out of material and just kind of sat there for the next couple hours. And then I yeah. went to another one where the big fight at – Jericho. I saw Jericho. He was in there. This was before he was even that big. But I think it was mm-hmm. the LWO. Yeah. Versus, the Latino World Order. Yeah, versus some of the, the Wolfpack, maybe. 
the lower wolf pack. Okay. All right. It was, it was like a, it was like not a barn show, but it was, do you remember what those shows were called? Like, uh, uh, now, now the term is just live events, but back in the day they used to be called house shows. House shows. Yeah. I was a house show with that. And then Norman Smiley was there. But that's just a blur. Screaming Norman Smiley. <laughs> but, uh, All right. So you've seen, you've seen some interesting shows, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. And then this movie brought back some terrible memories for me. Uh, <laughs> yes, it did. So yes, they, it did. they go to bring back Jimmy the King, and so you have the whole farting nuns, and you have the puking, and then you have, her, then you have crabs up close. But then they play that song, My Own Worst Enemy by Lit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but I was in a cover band in college. I did and not know that. we were not good. We were what you call a 140 a.m. band, where we get on stage at 140 when the bar closes at 2. And we just unleash our music on people who know the songs already. And I couldn't hit half of the notes, so I just put the microphone out for the crowd. And people loved us, but if they probably, you know, heard us at not 1.40 a.m., they'd be like, who are these guys? But well, we at used... that point, they're nice and drunk. They're very lubricated at that point, yeah. so it makes sense. Yeah. And we're picking songs that everyone knows, but we used to do Lit. And I just had the hardest time getting through that song at 1.40 a.m. And so now <laughs> when I think about it, I just feel like, what? What did, why did I think I could do this? And it just brings back like weird memories of me singing terribly on stage. So I'm watching this movie. I'm dealing with farting nuns. I'm dealing with toilet papers hitting crap trucks. And then, you know, crabs up close. And then I have to be reminded of my terrible singing days. This movie movie got me from all sides, Mo. It hit him in all the feels, yes. Oh, so how about this? Let's, let's take a break. Let me, let me, let me collect myself. And when we come back, we'll talk more ready to rumble. Welcome back to Movies, Films, and Flicks. We were talking during the break, and this may seem like we're really ragging on this movie, but Mo, we know this wasn't meant to be high art. You say we don't mean to sound like we're ragging on the movie? I kind of do. Yeah, and we're both still aware that this movie was meant to be ready to rumble, but... Yeah, it's... You're not going to make a wrestling movie... So short notice, rushed writing, rushed everything, and expect it to be a glorious piece of work. With that said, there still seems like there was almost no effort put into it. No. It, this this movie was written in a night, and that night was fueled by Red Bull, and then it was shot by a director who wanted cash, and the only person who cared on this film was David Arquette. David Arquette, yeah. he gives his all in this movie. He, they should not have cast a 35-year-old man to be the lead. I, I think the wrestlers care because they, they understood that if they... Like, DDP does a pretty good job, all things considered. I think if he hadn't, and some of these side stars hadn't done a decent job with their roles, it would have mocked pro wrestling even more so. Do you think this movie mocks pro wrestling? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Got it. So... They were making a movie, so so they weren't making it for their core fans base, right? They were trying to make a movie with wrestling that would appeal to the mainstream. I think what they did, and at the time I was younger, like you, I was right around 18. I, I think at the time they thought us wrestling fans were going to be distracted by, oh, there's a Macho Man cameo there. Oh, look, there's Prince Iakea and Rey Mysterio wrestling. And like, oh, look at the Triple Cage. We're going to be distracted by the wrestling moments and cameos. But they're trying to bring in an audience who was leaving the company. They were losing that war against WWF at the time. 
And I, I, when you have the two leads who supposedly know wrestling is fake, but when he's getting this four-post beatdown and they're crying and freaking out and driving off the road, and then they quit whatever they're supposed to be doing to find him, to inspire him to get back to It's like, no, either either wrestling is is fake, and we know it, or wrestling is real. Do not try to blur the lines between the two because it does not work. Got it. And they definitely blurred the lines between the two. Yeah, it's and then he comes back and attacks them on TV after you know, he's been fired. He attacks them by hiding in the porta potty, and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> we're supposed line. to believe that they'd give him another shot. No, security would escort his ass out of there. My favorite line though, he's in the porta potty, and just in Oliver Platt's little twang, he goes, "It stinks in here." <laughs> That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's all he says. Uh, stinks in here. It's, yeah, or like. They know it's fake. They know he needs to get back on his feet, but they're visiting his ex-wife and just can't believe that the queen lives in a mobile home, that the queen should live in a castle. Where where does it where did their belief start and where did the realism end? Got it. It didn't reflect the average fan who knows, okay, this is fake, but much like going to see the new movie Venom, we know an alien symbiote isn't really taking over Tom Hardy. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Got it. And these were 35-year-old men who still believed all this. Right. And I think that's just, that's what the writers or directors or somebody funding this, producing it, thought the wrestling audience was. They really, to me as a fan, thought that's what we reflected. This this disdain on their parts. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, wrestling fans are too dumb to know we're mocking them. You wanna uh, you wanna do a couple questions here? Sure, why right. not? Rich, Get me all worked up. Which wrestler would play the DDP role nowadays? So Diamond yeah, Dallas Page is the main wrestler that fights Jimmy King. All right, so DDP's role in this is obviously he was a crowd favorite, but he was playing a bad guy that kind of looked down on the crowd and looked down on other styles of wrestling. He didn't like the physique of Jimmy King. He didn't like how he catered to the fans. So I think really looking at real life and character, I think the DDP role here in 2018 would be played by Randy Orton. Oh, that's perfect. A guy who's in shape, a guy who could be a crowd favorite is a great bad guy. And Randy Orton is very outspoken and, and disagrees with a lot of other styles of wrestling. You know, in, in the real wrestling world, there's, the Bullet Club with the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega. Those guys are very popular outside of WWE, and they have a very acrobatic, aerial style, many of them. And Randy Orton doesn't like that. You know, uh, you know, flips, not kicks, or whatever uh, he says. So Orton's been outspoken about not liking that style. It's similar to DDP not liking Jimmy King. Oh, my goodness. That's perfect. So who would Jimmy King be? Are we talking just 35-year-old actors that... Uh... No, in the wrestling world. All right, so a reflection of a popular star who maybe is a jackass in real life. We need Platt again. <laughs> I think Oliver Platt's bored for this role. I love him in this movie, man. I do. It stinks in here. <laughs> I can tell because it's – now, put this role – put Oliver Platt in this role in any other movie. Would you like it as much? <laughs> yeah. Wait. Wait. But Oliver, wait, Oliver Platt – as this character in another movie? Yeah. 
And if Chef, that movie Chef, he's a food critic. If yeah. if, if he played that same character, like an ex-wrestler become food critic, that'd be even better. Stinks in here. He doesn't talk much in this movie. He doesn't have many lines. He falls into a manhole and tries to stay in there. Uh, I'm still trying to think about who would be uh, the the Jimmy King role nowadays because WWE's really the only big game in town. You got some other promotions and and New Japan trying to infiltrate the 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 United States market a bit more. So things are on an upswing, but right now WWE's really the only mainstream household name in the industry and they've done a lot in real life behind the scenes to really clean up the image that if you don't have if you don't have the right mentality if you don't have the right outlook you're not going places in that company that you really need to be a team player and be on the right page for them to to give you a push to give you a spotlight so I guess if I had to to pick somebody who is maybe difficult backstage, but the crowd loves him, and you could see a redemption arc from him, would be Dean Ambrose. Ooh, Dean Ambrose. He kind of has that wild. Uh, so he's part of the Shield. He has like he, he is part of the Shield. He's the little he, guy. Uh, he's I the, don't want to say he's less established than the other two, Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins, because he's he's been a former champion himself. So it's not like he hasn't accomplished a lot already, but he's. A different guy. He rubs some people the wrong way, but the crowd generally likes this guy and is going to support him, at least his character on screen. And I could see him having issues with management, but management giving him another shot, the whole road to redemption, blah, blah, blah. What about CM Punk? CM Punk. I'm trying to think if he'd have a, a role in this movie anywhere. After his latest MMA stints, that went horribly awry. Yeah. No, I like I like Dean Ambrose and Randy Orton. That's a good Punk, one. Punk could be the, if Ready to Rumble had a sequel about a guy who doesn't want to return, but the fans want him to, <laughs> that's where Punk comes in. God, no, please, guys. I don't want back. Then yeah. something happens. He's CM Punk's got way too much pride and is way too stubborn to, to come back right now. He's got to prove to himself somewhere that he can be successful outside of WWE. And then... Once that that fire in his belly goes out, then he can finally admit to, hey, wrestling is what brought me to the dance. You you and I understand this from from the Comic-Con world. How many stars have we worked with over the years that don't like being reminded of the show or the movie that brought them to stardom? And then a couple of years later, they realize, oh, wait, it's making me money. It's connecting me to the fans. It's not a bad thing. Many of them. A lot of them hate it. And then they're like, wait, I should embrace this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so just they, takes them a while. Yeah, and a paycheck. Yeah, if nothing else, yes. Like, and then some just hate it, right? And then they probably hate sure. it when they don't get the money coming in. Yeah, and that happens. I mean, all of us hate our jobs from time to time, and sometimes you just got to do it because it pays the bills. But uh, we've seen that arc a lot firsthand, you and I. So yeah. CM Punk will get there, and if they make it ready to rumble too, which God no, don't do that. But if they do, make it based on CM Punk. Base it on WCW's return. <gasps> oh my gosh! And they got to bring everybody back. Oh Why not? Yeah. Why the oh hell? Even bring David Arquette back. Who is? I don't know if you're aware of this, Mark. David Arquette is doing a huge push right now in the pro wrestling world. Yeah. Wait, he's wrestling soon, isn't he? Yes, uh, he's already wrestled a few times. He's continuing to wrestle. He is trying to add a legitimacy 
to his, and this is related to Royal Rumble, he was actually the WCW world champion around this time. Yeah, and they, uh, they hated that. Like that oh, was like, yeah. Yeah, he, I read an interview where Arquette said that people hated him backstage because they never got, they never got a title and then he could say he was the champion. Oh yeah. Uh, he was hated backstage. The fans couldn't take him seriously as an actor as your world champion. Fine. You want, you want Hugh Jackman to guest host a Monday night raw and takes out a guy. Fine. He's not the world champion though. That's just a segment, a moment in time. David Arquette was actually the WCW champion because WCW officials thought it would be shocking. And this is going to get attention to our promotion, which it did. But unlike the, the famous expression, there is such a thing as bad publicity. And that was bad. And Arquette seems to really, he didn't want to do it from what I read, but he's also like, they want to make me champion. I said it was a bad idea, but I also wasn't going to say no, which I mean, is interesting. I don't think any fan blames him Got it. For, for agreeing to do it. And he sold it the best. Like he, Arquette in this movie, I have to say, he's 140 billion times in. Like he's he is he's trying as hard as he can in this movie, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah, I mean, too, maybe you too can, hard. You you can you can take, uh, and I don't know if we can curse or not, but if we if we take poop, you can shine it up. You can mold it into looking not like poop. But guess what? It's still poop. He was trying his best to take that poop and make something of it, but it's still stinky. I got to tell you something, man. Hearing the word poop sounds dirtier than saying shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you take caca, and it's, but it's true, though. Regardless of what term we want to use, you know, if the script's horrible, the script's horrible. But at least he went all in on this horribleness. Yeah. And I, he does. Uh, wait. So I, can I tell you something about my notes here? Sure. I just wrote, in my notes in bold, I wrote, I like Jimmy King. It's a unique performance. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, last question. The last question is, the Marine are walking tall. You know, you asked me this question ahead of time to kind of give me a heads up that this was coming. And, and now it's time for me to admit something. I'm a wrestling fan nearly my whole life. I've never seen either of those movies. All right, so... One of them is John Cena. Sure. Uh, fighting Robert Patrick. Right. Uh -huh. So they take his lady and he has to get him back. Right. Which has then spurred like six or seven sequels yeah, the already. The next one had uh, the son of a guy. Uh, Jake the Snake's son, maybe? Does okay. He, is he a guy? Is he? A, they had a son of a wrestler on the second one. And then the third one has The Miz. Right. The second one, I believe, was Randy Orton, actually. Is it Randy Orton? Yeah. I thought... Oh, okay. The second one's Randy Orton, then. <laughs> Which would be the son of Cowboy Bob Orton, who's in the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, technically, everyone's a son of somebody. You would hope so, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, and then Walking Tall... Oh, no, Tall no, uh, Marine 2 was Ted DiBiase Jr. Yeah, that's what it was. I knew it. I knew it was somebody. And then Randy, Randy Orton was in one? Orton, Orton, there's a lot of WWE films, and I can't keep up with them, because they're all really bad from what I've seen. Yeah, they're not good. And... Then there's Walking Tall, which is The Rock coming back. It's a remake. Sure. And sure. Johnny Knoxville's in it. I like him. There's he's just he's but he plays this very like sanctimonious dude, and then he has a massive fist fight with uh Neil McDonough. Really great actor, Band of Brothers. But mm -hmm. you're just watching mm -hmm. a six foot four, two hundred and fifty pound man wrestle uh you know, like a five eleven dude that's one eighty. And it's like the the greatest fight you've ever seen. <laughs> and all right, all right. 
Robert Patrick is my favorite part of both movies because he's just he's like that stereotypical super slimy villain. Right. He just loves. Right. You can tell he just loved it. He's like, I'm in Australia. I don't care. I'm having fun. And so he's the yeah, best part. I don't know how much of an acting job that is, though. Yeah. You're... <laughs> you know, I've worked. I was, so I was a stand-in on a movie called Jane Mansfield's Car. Uh, it was with Billy Bob Thornton. He directed it. Robert Duvall, uh, Robert Patrick, Kevin Bacon, John Hurt, uh, a bunch of big names. And you know, as a stand-in, I was very professional one day. But one time, I I was hearing about the movie Gangster Squad that was been put together. Remember that massive cast, like Brolin, yeah. all those. It was a bad movie. But I was in a car with Robert Patrick, and he was like talking about it. I was like, Yeah, yeah, I heard about it. It's online. Or he goes, That's online already. <laughs> like he just like uh, he was just like a fun dude. He was super kind of chill, real real low maintenance. So uh, I don't know what the point was. But it was something you said. So he seemed pretty chill. <laughs> what did you say about him? That he was kind of, that might be no, him? I said, he, he acts as a slimy villain. And I'm like, I don't know if it's much of an acting gig. Oh, no, no. He, yeah, he was unslimy, for sure. He was just kind of having fun. He was like Rooker. You know, like, you know how Rooker acts at okay. the Royal Comic Cons? Or any Comic Con oh, yeah. in general? Yeah. yeah, he was just a fun dude. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely acted. Uh, he, he was just good old boy, kind of. But, uh, no, he was my favorite part of that. The Marine, by far. Just a slimy dude. But if I had to watch one of them again, I'd... I just go walking tall, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, you know I watch Yeah, it. I think, obviously, I haven't seen either of them. Uh, I've seen the original Walking Tall, but not the Rock's version. I would probably reach for that because the Rock was, at that point, trying to be a serious actor, where the Marine was John Cena's first foray into it, and I don't think at that point he had much of the way, at least publicly, aspirations to go into acting. Yeah, and he's funny now in Blockers, and he hated shooting this movie. He's like, I wanted to wrestle. And then they take me away from wrestling. So he hated being out there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it led to eventually there was a feud between Cena and The Rock about The Rock selling out, turning his back on the company and the industry that made him. And now John Cena is going to be one of the leads in Bumblebee coming out later this year. And just, it's amazing how the tables have turned. Yeah, you start getting those paychecks. And so, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, so Walking Tall. I'm, I'm, I guess I'll say Walking Tall for that. When you don't have to beat yourself up for a living, that certainly helps. Yeah. Oh, oh, one thing. I had to watch Walking Tall, and I had to count every instance of property destruction for an article I wrote about The Rock when Skyscraper came out. So I'm very familiar with Walking Tall. I know all the property destruction in it. I know every bullet hole. <laughs> I had to research drywall costs. Type in... Do you... What's up? Do, do you have to... Rewatch and rewatch and rewatch to get these fun facts. Yeah, I, I've gotten good at it though, so I just kind of know. I fast forward, then I get to the action scenes and I analyze them. And if I miss anything, then I go back and watch it again. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, yeah. I looked up like I generally I, I looked up the price of drywall, right? And I use that price for all of the movies. So I got to like thirteen trillion. But the problem is in San Andreas, <laughs> there's no way to tell how much damage there is. Right. And, and so I just did the best I could. And I feel like 13 trillion, like my, I researched power grids on the Eastern, uh, a power grid. They said, if it goes out on the Eastern seaboard, it's going to be like $2 trillion. So then I kind of used that money over for San Andreas. Then I researched skyscraper costs. I looked at the Japanese tsunami. Uh, I did way too much work for that article, but I know every instance of property destruction in Dwayne Johnson movies. And I kind of like Walking Tall because that's the last time he almost lost a fight to a regular person. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't ever believe The Rock is ever going to lose. Yeah, and you know, well, he lost in Fast Five. 
to Vin Diesel. And that, that was the yeah. last time. So now rubber bullets don't even hurt him. No, I mean, it's, it's the rock. I mean, gotcha. he's untouchable. So want to want to get back to this movie? Because I feel like we've been avoiding it. Not really. Why? Hence why we're avoiding it. But I guess, I suppose we should. All right. So they, uh, Scott Kahn and David Arquette get get uh, Oliver Platt because I I keep the king back into training. And they introduce him to Martin freaking Oscar winning Landau, just <laughs> a, a national treasure played by, and he's playing a character called Sal Bandini, which is based on what Owen, one of the Hearts in Canada. Uh, uh, Stu Hart, Stu kind Hart. of the head of the Hart family dungeon, which, if you're not a wrestling fan, is one of the most respected and longest running training schools in in all of pro wrestling history. They call it a dungeon. That's crazy. Yeah, the Hart is literally in a basement, the Hart family dungeon, where basically you get tortured, but you learn how to be a hell of a wrestler. And so Sal Bandini, played by Martin Landau, Oscar winner, Oscar winner. Um, Oscar winner. Paycheck. Paycheck. Even Oscar winners need paycheck. So he's he's doing a paycheck movie, and then Rose McGowan gets sent by Joey Pants to infiltrate with David Arquette, and it leads to the most awkward dinner scene I've ever seen in my life, where David Arquette's eating pasta with chopsticks, but like they're silverware, and then she asks him to show her a move, and he flips her. He flips her really hard, then she goes, "Ooh, take me to the bedroom," and then during the scene, he punches her in the face. He punches, he punches. Because wrestling fans don't know what to do when you're alone with a, a hot chick. That's that's what this movie is telling you. So it was supposed to be played as funny, but I'm like, man, he just hit a woman. Well, back then it was acceptable to hit a woman. Nowadays. Yeah, in, in 2000. In w- yeah, well, obviously. Back, it was a different era, Mark. Well, in WCW, it was the Attitude Era. Yeah, well, they, they did have... Some some man on woman violence and woman on man violence. I mean, anything goes or anything went back then. But that's how badly this movie was written, though. There's just a scene where David Arquette punches a woman in the face. And, and that's well, that's where I, as a longtime wrestling fan, feel like they were making fun of my kind the entire time because, oh, you're alone with an attractive woman. Oh, wrestling fans don't know what to do then. He would accidentally punch her. That's hilarious. I just felt bad for Rose McGowan in this movie because she had done some decent films before this. And I, I liked her as an actress. And I she, Maybe this is why she ended up like going crazy. Just because the movie was just so bad. This is it. Ready to rumble ruins careers. Hey, Oliver Platt stayed strong. Did he, though? Did he, though? He stays busy. <laughs> he can stay busy. I don't it doesn't mean it's good busy, you know. All right, so they, they get him back in the training, and then he discovers that he's he's back. Jim, Jimmy King is back. And he goes to Goldberg. He's like, hey, Goldberg, can I help you? Goldberg says no. And so they travel back to their home, and they do tryouts for his entourage. And then that happens. And then that, <laughs> and then that leads to the three-tiered cage fight, which mm-hmm. I remember – not hating when I watched it in 2000. What did you think about it in 2000? It was a fun idea. Uh, I liked it back as a fan in the era where, again, anything went. Uh, things were over the top. The Triple Cage was fun. Uh, it was used twice in real wrestling, uh, so to speak. And I like it. It was fine for the era. I don't know if it would work nowadays, but back then, I thought there was – it was fun. Uh, so it's it's Jimmy King versus DDP. I need to do DDP's yoga. I hear it's great, Mo. 
I've done it before. It helped my back a lot, actually. I know a guy that does it. I do regular yoga, but I know a guy that just does that exclusively. Mm-hmm. All right. No, DDP yoga is really good. I I say that in all sincerity. Brought to you by DDP yoga. But this fight, so you have, you know, Jimmy the King. Wait, so Jimmy, wait, the King starts winning, and then DDP's entourage comes in. They beat up the makeshift entourage, but then Goldberg comes in, and then Sting is supposed to beat up Jimmy King, but then Sting turns on DDP, and, uh... And then Jimmy King becomes the champ, right? And wins a million dollars. Because that's how all stories <laughs> come to a conclusion. You know, that's that's how every story ends. I mean, is that how, like, the? and then also Jimmy the King's son turns on him as a wrestling character in this movie. And he has to fight his son. Yeah. Does that get closure? Yeah, and, um... Does that scene get closure? <laughs> I don't believe so. No, that's that's in the sequel. I mean, Jimmy King was a terrible husband and father. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a terrible wrestler, too. Yeah, but you know what, though? It's Oliver Platt. Have you ever seen Oliver Platt in Lake Placid? <laughs> I love Oliver Platt in Lake Placid. That's okay. Yeah, I love that. Oliver Platt. He could do whatever he wants. Yeah, I mean, and he did this movie. All right, so <laughs> in my notes, I wrote, A Drunk Asshole Gets Back to Power. I wrote, Booker T, Goldberg, Kidman, Kid Rock, and then His Son is Evil. There was a funny line about, you know, you fall in your dreams like Michael Bolton. That that line made me laugh. All right, let's do this, Mo. What did you like about this movie? Let's not hate. Like, what well, did you like? When it ended? <laughs> during, this, during the movie. Give, uh, me, give me three positives. You didn't tell me I'd have to speak positive of this yes, movie. I want three positives. Three positives of this movie. Um, the wrestlers took it seriously. Okay. Which sounds ridiculous, but they could easily phone it in. But I really think somebody like a DDP tried a lot harder than he probably needed to. Got it. Um, the soundtrack wasn't horrible. I mean, at the time, you had Kid Rock. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they paid some money for the soundtrack. They did. Uh, they did, probably more so than Oliver Platt. Um... <laughs> Man, why you, you're not a platter. <laughs> I'm not a platter in this movie, no. <laughs> There's so much that doesn't make sense why he would be the champion. And, uh, um, uh, one yeah, more you thing. You can do it. You can do it. I already got this my three. Tough. I, I already got my three lined up. Uh, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to find a serious one because I had not revisited this movie since it came out. I remember seeing it at the theater with my friends as wrestling fans, walking out thinking, "What the hell was this crap?" So I had not revisited it since 2000. Got it. So I'm seriously trying to think of a positive because I'm just rewatching this, and all I can do is shake my head. I'm giving myself whiplash. I'm shaking so much. You know, John Cena had his first cameo in this. He's working out during Goldberg scene. In, yeah, backs uh, in the back of a scene, background of a Goldberg scene. All right, can I give you my three, and you can think of your your last yeah, one? Yeah, you don't mind. All right, so Oliver Platt. Duh. I mean, it just it smells in here. <laughs> just, just. I love it. I love it when Sal Bandini, played by Oscar Wilde or Martin Landau, beats up Sid Vicious in Saturn. Like, it's just, he's like home alone him. Yeah. Like, two wrestlers get homed alone by Oscar Wilde or Martin Landau. Yeah, it's, it's both good and bad at the same time. It's, yeah. it's Sal Bandini. <laughs> the one character name you know. Yeah. I, how many times have I forgotten the king? Oh, man. <laughs> and that's the easiest name to remember. 
right, and so the third one will be... I'm going to look through my notes here. I'm looking through my notes. Let me see. Uh, you I would say... You took DD... I, oh, go for it. No, I'd say I would pick... I would pick nowadays, you know, a, a highlight of watching Ready to Rumble is the blast from the past. The the nostalgia of that era, while that may have been the end of the Attitude Era, what it's called now, it brought me back to my youth. I, I completely forgot that Prince Ikea was a thing, and he has a very quick scene. Juventud Guerrera, I forgot, was a thing. And so, Perry Saturn, you just mentioned, I I got to be reminded of stars good and bad that I forgot about so many years, almost decades later. So if nothing else, it's cool for that trip down memory lane. You want to hear my third? Yes. So I kind of like it. I don't like the whole finger in the butt scene to get a free slushy, but I do like that Scott Kahn was like, dude, you drank all the slushy. I thought we were sharing that. And then Arquette's like, my bad dude. And then he doesn't have any money. So he pulls that gross stunt to get his buddy some slushy. Yeah. And that's like, he shouldn't have drank the whole slushy, but at least he's trying to get his buddy <laughs> a slushy. You know what I mean? He's putting his ass out there for his friend. Yeah, I kind of like that. Scott Conn was like, dude, you did it? And Arquette's like, oh, my bad, man. I just wasn't thinking. Like, that, I don't know. That moment felt I lived, will, that moment felt I will lived state in. I that I did believe these two were friends, even though they are different with their approaches. Uh, Scott's is very laid back where, uh, you know, David Arquette's character is definitely off the wall. I did buy that these two were legit friends. Yeah. No, there we go. Look at that. It's like a fourth highlight now. We got nostalgia. We got Oliver Platt. <laughs> Sal Bandini. Sal Bandini. The only, I, I can't even say the, uh, the, the king. So it's, I mean, Sal Bandini. This beating up Sid Vicious. Was, was Sid Vicious in a wrestling movie? Uh, yes. I feel like Sid Vicious was a v- villain. Yeah, it's there, no, there's no definitely been a hard. lot of straight to DVD, straight to streaming uh, wrestling movies. You know, like there's Wrestlers vs Zombies that came out a couple years ago. Are you for real? Oh yeah, yeah. Who, who's yeah. in that? I think Kevin Nash was in that, among others. Oh, I gotta watch this. Yeah, it's it's bad and good. It's good, good in a bad way. Oh man. So, uh, overall, you, you happy I forced you to watch this movie and then wait an hour to record a pod, this podcast? No, I'm actually going to forever hold this over you uh, <laughs> and one day call in a favor so you can make this up to me. I'm, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. It's painful. I want to ask you this, though, Mr. Movie Expert. When? When does this get remade? Um, I would say, all right, so w- WWE, right, in a couple years. There's going to be, you know, right now you have the two branches, and then you have Next, and then you have uh, New Japan, and you have Ring of Fire, right? And so you uh, have... Well, 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 a couple corrections there. Uh, oh. NXT. Oh, NXT. But it's supposed to resemble Next, because that's the next big stars. Oh, NXT. Uh, and then Ring of Honor. Oh, Ring of Honor. Did I say Ring, Ring of, of Fire? Ring of Fire is a song. I came down. So Ring of Honor. Bird and Ring of Honor. I heard you were the interim intercontinental champion. <laughs> for Ring of, well, Ring of what Honor. Can, what can you do? So it's going to be big, right? And there's going to be a lot of competition. All these different things are branching off. And a lot of WWE people see how much talent there is outside of mm-hmm. the sure. WWE. Yep. So they want to do another – they want to bring back WCW to kind of do a split away from the WWE because you have SmackDown, you have that, who goes here, so much talent, so much talent out of this. There's a big split 
And then to reintroduce WCW, they cast Zac Efron <laughs> and Miles Teller. Ooh. Right? Right? All right. All right. All right. To, to get CM Punk to a new uh, like startup wrestling thing to, you know, be a headliner for their new show. Okay. So All then right. that'll be ready to rumble remake. You know, I... Yeah, it's not bad. I like your castings. Uh, it's not a bad idea, and I don't know if you've ever talked about it or if you've seen Glow on Netflix. Oh, I love Glow. But they took a serious approach to what was a campy product. Still put the camp in the show, but that's not the focus. I wonder if you do Ready to Rumble if somebody remakes it and it is done more seriously with maybe some wink, wink, nudge, nudge to this original campy movie. Get some Mickey Rourke in there. Uh, probably not. I don't take him <laughs> seriously again. I mean, I did it a little bit around the wrestler, but now I don't again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if it can be Glow-esque and then keep that sense of humor about it, like, hey, we know this guy is a wrestler, down and out because of, like, the MMA fighting, but they want him back to headline against the biggest wrestler from Japan. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think there's, there's money. I, I don't think the concept of Ready to Rumble was a bad concept. I think it was just the wrong people overseeing it, so the execution didn't click to anybody, wrestling fans or non. So look at this, man. We just we just talked about this movie just being a product of a rushed system. It found some positives, and it's ready for a remake. I do think it's ready. It's ready to rumble, ready for a remake. Oh, ready for a, re a rumble remake? Yeah, that's, that's a lot of R's. And David Arquette needs to be in it. He's Dude. ready. He's ready for it. And he's listen. I like him in the screen movies a lot. I think he can act when he's when he's with the right director. And he's in another movie I like him in too. And Scott Con, shoot, bring him back. Who cares? Have DDP in there. Just bring them all back. Disco Inferno. Yeah, you know Scott Con. He's kind of he's he's stuck on TV right now. I mean, he needs to get back into movies, and this could be it. Oh, dude, he's chilling. He's making bank and syndication. He could. Well, I don't blame him. I'm just saying though. He he, oh, could, uh, he could. Yeah, I think Ready to Rumble, if they remake it, much like Glow, would be better probably as a series because uh, I'm sure you've seen this uh, this change, and that could probably be a whole nother show. Uh, TV is where you want to be right now. Movies, yeah, that still pays big, but creatively, TV is the place to be. You know what? Screw this. Let's get Allison Bree from Glow, and then let's get Miles Teller. They're like a couple or friends, and then I'm they want and then they want to bring CM Punk, and then they both end up wrestling. You just had me at Miles Teller and Allison Brie. It doesn't even matter the rest of the story. Cause she already That's knows my how... Oliver Platt right there. Oh, man. That's low. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine that movie. I think it'd be awesome. I, I, I think there's potential. I, I really think so. And I think nowadays it would be taken a bit more seriously. We did it, Mo. Me and you, man. We, we, we survived! Hung, we hung in there and we, we came up with a brilliant film. So, hey, uh, before we go, go off, is there anything you want to plug? For uh, our listeners, if you want to to talk the actual pro wrestling, what's still going on here in 2018, uh, WrestlingAudio.com. I've been podcasting for 13 years, and it's it's all free. It's just a group of us guys that just enjoy talking wrestling. If we hate something, we don't dwell on it. We just try to keep up beating positive. Nice. So, yeah, head there. Also, uh, head to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have Amazon, we just got we're part of TuneIn now, so you can listen listen to us on your Alexa via Amazon. 
And so I'm, I'm making some other moves for some big places, so our podcast is probably going to be everywhere soon. I didn't even see, know. See, Mark now is like, you should add us to your podcast network. Oh, I don't know about that. And be like, oh, you smell my phone? It smells like shit, doesn't it? Yeah. My, <laughs> Mark will put his finger in his butt for you, the listener. That's right. And I'll bring, I'll, I will do a podcast podcast with, if I hit number one on iTunes, I'm bringing it all for Black. And he do and it. I, and he and Perfect. I are talking about ready to rumble. Now, I just hope, they say, don't meet your heroes. I really hope that if Oliver Platt's on the show, and if he just trashes Ready to Rumble, it does not crush you so much. I think it's going to be the greatest experience of his life. All right, I hope so. And also, uh, I had to type in Ranker. Also, we're the number one movie, uh, we're we're number one on their best movie podcast list right now. So, you know, we're ahead of the big boys. So if you want to do that, check out over there, go to Ranker, best movie podcast, give us a vote, keep us up at number one. And uh, Mo, thank you, man. And if you want to do this ever again with me, I will happily let you pick pick the movie. Well, I thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you for an excuse to watch that movie again. Um, if they ever make a sequel or a TV show or a spinoff or something, I'm definitely back for that. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to be back on. We'll uh, we'll find another movie this time. I'll try to torture you. Oh, dude, I love it. And also, if that movie gets made, we're the associate producers. We, we better be getting some sort of credit or love or something. Yeah, we, we it started here. So, uh, But thank you, man. So for me, Mark Hoffmeyer, and for Mo Lightning, this is Movies, Films, and Flicks. We'll see you next week.